All right, so here's the truth. You like the truth, right? I I love the truth. I'm sure you can handle this. I'm sure you can handle this truth. (laughs) The failure rate in real estate is very high. It's 80% in the first three years. If you're not willing to stay on top of what's happening in the industry, you'll get left behind. Change or die. When you have two small kids and another one on the way, that's called motivation. I mean, I certainly was not the best educated, experienced real estate agent, but nobody outworked me. And there will always be a place for people that are willing to work harder than everybody else. I wouldn't even consider being a flipper right now Hmm. because the market is just far too uncertain. You get locked out of houses, locked into houses, your photographer falls in the pool. It's a litany of embarrassment, but (laughs) you know, it's just, it's life. Hey everyone, welcome to Risky Assets episode six. I have the distinct privilege today of interviewing our guest, Neil Weichel. Neil is a top real estate agent here in our area of Santa Clarita, California, but really all of California is your operating space. I'm just gonna tell the story how I got introduced to you and we can sort of go from there. Sounds good. Um, I was introduced to you in the mortgage crisis, Mm -hmm. probably around 2010, 11, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. My wife and I had gotten into a bad mortgage. We had purchased a, a condo here in Santa Clarita. And I think we were on what they call a negative AM loan. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. And uh, your balance kept going up. Yes. And they had four <laughs> options. We got referred to somebody with Countrywide who was like, hey, you have these, these four options with your loan. You can take a, a minimum payment, a five-year arm. I think it was a 15-year fix and a 30-year mm-hmm. fix. Um, but she was like, this is your monthly payment. And so you just make that. And hey, if you want to make more, then you can make a larger payment. And then we found out when property values started dropping that we were really far upside down right. on the property. Sure. And I was talking to a business mentor friend of mine who said, you know, Daniel, when you're dealing with business in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, he said, you need, and I remember this like it was yesterday, you need a wise and shrewd businessman <laughs> who can help you take care of that deal. Well, and he said, he said, there is one guy to call. He said, it's Neil Weichel. All right. Well, uh, that's nice. Okay. We called you and you were able to help us with our short sale. Sure. At the time, we were a couple hundred thousand dollars upside down on that property and uh, really got us out of a jam. We've been thankful to you and your team ever since. And Thank you. And have been able to refer you some clients over the years as You've well been to, terrific. to close some deals. So why don't you give us just the basic story of how you got into real estate, uh, how old you were, and what originally brought you to that place? Well, you know, we, we live here in the Santa Clarita Valley, and the beauty of the Santa Clarita Valley is it's kind of a big, small town. And I did not grow up out here. I moved here in 1987. And I was in the corporate sales world and, and well-trained and did well in that, in that world, but I didn't want to travel. You know, I didn't, okay. we were going to have kids, you know, that's why people yeah. move here, right. Is, is to raise their families. And so my wife and I talked about it. I wanted her to be able to stay home. And I said, look, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people in the real estate space and I think I can, I can compete against them well. And so in 1991, I entered the real estate business. What I didn't know, and of course, how could you, you never know what the future holds, is for the next seven years, values would go down. So you were in the middle of the worst mortgage crisis that we've ever seen. But real estate is a very cyclical business as we're experiencing right now as you and I are sitting here. And most of the 90s were a declining market, short sales, foreclosures, Uh, no appreciation in prices, in fact, the opposite. And in the very end of the 90s, that all started to turn. 
And I was like, wow, this is great. You mean prices can go up too? So, uh, and then of course they, they did that for the next eight years um, from, you know, 98 to 2006. And then in 2006, we all learned what had been happening behind the curtains yeah. uh, that none of us knew, of course, with, uh, you know, all kinds of loan shenanigans. Uh, and uh, we paid the price for that for the next five years. Yeah. So. And you also had in the middle of the 90s, you had the 94 earthquake. We had earthquakes. Which didn't help. Fires. Which didn't help the pricing. Uh, I remember down in Laguna Beach, floods were mudslides. Uh, we had wars in the Middle East. Um, it was always something. I yeah. mean, uh, we had, my goodness, we had Rodney King, you know? I mean, whenever there's a big world event, it really causes markets, and in my case, the real estate market, or yeah. it could be the stock market, the bond market, the commodity market. Markets react to that. Yeah. And right now, they're reacting to this very big spike in interest rates, right? Our right. interest rates have doubled. Right. All you have to do is let me show you on a graph what that does to your monthly payment and you can understand why the market's flipped. Yeah. And it's flipped. It's well, and from a from an affordability standpoint, I think, you know, we hear a lot about how real estate is very difficult to buy in California. And even with a little bit of a dip in prices, the interest rate is taking that back up. So it just continues to attribute to affordability problems for people buying here in California. It's a real problem. Um, I mean, there's just no two ways about it. When I talk to a first time buyer and show them how they can buy a beautiful $500,000 townhome in Valencia and their payments only going to be $4,300 a month. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can do the math on what your income needs to be for that. But that's what it is. And they buy because they don't want to rent, which I certainly understand. But yeah, we these high interest rates are absolutely changing our market as we speak. Yeah. What does that do for people that are trying to get into? So like I told you, we attended a conference in Vegas called Future Flipper, and it's for people mm -hmm. that want to buy and flip properties. They want to renovate. Sometimes they buy and hold. Sometimes they buy and flip. Sure. Is that even possible in a market like California to be able to to do something like that? Well, it's always possible. I, I worked with one of the largest flippers in Southern California uh, for about 15 years where I would value property for him. And he made a fortune. Okay. Um, but it's always on the buy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the truth of the matter is, is in this market, I wouldn't even consider being a flipper right now hmm. because the market is just far too uncertain. Um, you know, if you buy something that much under market, sure. But the only people buying real estate in the last 60 days, Daniel, they're people that are buying to live in it, yeah. not to flip in it. It's yeah. just too risky. And if I could just give you an aside, since a lot of yeah. people have, have seen some of what we call iBuyers or instant buyers out there. These are companies like Open Door. Uh, a lot of people knew Zillow a year ago would buy homes. You know, hey, get your cash offer from sure. Zillow. You don't need to hire Neil Weichel to sell it for you, which, you know, is fine. In many cases, that made sense for those sellers. But those iBuyers, those companies that have, have bought homes, I can show you half a dozen homes right now in Santa Clarita where they're going to lose 100 grand, 120 grand. Wow. So what is your advice to, so like I have a really close friend of mine. He's got six kids. They're renting uh, mm -hmm. locally. They've got a bunch of money saved up. They want to buy a home, but it's just incredibly difficult for them to find something that's within their price range that they can afford. Sure. What's your advice to people like that, that are just trying to figure out, you There's know, there's a new listing on only <laughs> with six bedrooms for <laughs> 629. Go, go look at it. I'll meet you over there. Um, you know, my honest advice is I always think that home ownership over time makes sense. Okay. Um, obviously I wouldn't be in this business if I didn't, but, but I mean, I've just seen it 31 years. I've seen what real estate can do for people. I have literally thousands of clients and I could name hundreds of them 
who are retiring or have retired in the last few years and what they retired with because of the appreciation of California real estate yeah. was far more than their pension. Yeah. Right. And they are going to live comfortably for the rest of their life because they made six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars on a piece of real estate yeah. and enjoyed home ownership with tax write offs and depreciation and yeah. all that. And didn't have to worry about a landlord telling them, hey, you know, I'm going to sell the home. You guys got to move out. So I guess the point is, is home ownership always makes sense when a market shifts. And this one is you just want to be careful. Um, I do videos, as I think you know. Yeah, uh, started little, to see some of those coming yeah, out. Yeah, market updates. And you've heard the stories, you know, 12 offers on every listing, home selling in three days. Everything that was happening to somebody who's done this 31 years, I'm going, this isn't right. This isn't normal. This yeah. isn't safe. This isn't healthy. Yeah. So I come out with this video telling buyers why it's not a good time to buy right now, which went 180 degrees opposite of what everybody was was saying, right? Yeah. And the buyer mentality was, we don't care what we need to do. We'll bid any price. We just got to get the house. Yeah. That's terrible. Okay. That is not smart when you're talking about a six, seven, eight, however many hundred thousand yeah. dollar home. So when everybody says, oh gosh, don't wait, the market is, you know, shifting or correcting. I actually, again, go contrarian. I think that if the right home comes up in the right neighborhood and it's priced reasonably, figure out a way to buy down your interest rate or buy it with the idea being that you'll refinance in a couple of years when rates are back down and get that home ownership. Do you really want to be in a market in six months or 12 months or eight months or whenever it is, because nobody knows, yeah. where you're competing against six buyers again no. and you're not, I'm telling you, I look people in the eye and saw the despair in their face, the frustration. Yeah. Um, this is a fundamentally short inventory market still. Yeah. So we're going to go through a cycle where prices are going to adjust because interest rates are high. That doesn't mean you shouldn't buy a home. What are you going to wait until rates come down and all the buyers decide to buy again and you're up against all of them? Yeah. That's awful. No, it doesn't right? you make gotta, any sense. You got a big picture, right? Think big picture. So yeah. that's my answer to your question. I think that's how we felt in um, 2006 when we were purchasing our condo was everybody was just like, you have to get in, you have to buy, you need to do this now. And we just felt really uneducated at the time. We wished that we had somebody who was able to tell us like, you know, hey, maybe maybe pump the brakes on it, maybe watch out for it, which is why I think that you're so valuable um, to colleagues and to clients because you're willing to sort of be that voice in the wilderness that's like, hey, you need to hear this. This is how you need to be thinking about it. I think it creates tremendous value for your clients. Well, thank you. I mean, on, at the end of the day, what we offer people is knowledge and expertise. Yeah. Expertise to walk them through what can be a very complicated transaction, whether it's buying or selling. And knowledge, you know, if somebody talks to me, hopefully, in five minutes, they can tell my advice to them is going to be based on what's best for them, not what's best for me. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and everybody on my team, that is the only way that I think it's the right way to do this business. And yeah. so consequently, we have a very loyal, you know, large past client base, which if I put out something saying, hey, let's look big picture, this might be the right time for you to move, even though they may be hearing a lot of negative stuff on the news, they'll still pick up the phone and say, yeah, Neil, we we're thinking about a larger home or we're thinking about a single story or we're thinking about going to the beach or whatever it is. Why is this a good time? Well, it, it may not be, but let's at least talk about it. Let's not have our mind closed just because, you know, there's a lot of negative news because yeah. there's a lot of negative news. Yeah, that right. makes, no, it makes really good sense. When you were first starting out and, you know, you went through this downturn in the, in the 90s, it was difficult to, to get going. What kept you doing it? So like, what would your advice be for a young realtor 
getting into the business now, I feel like a lot of people get their real estate license. Is that fair? That I, I feel like I know a hundred people that have their real estate licenses. Sure. I think that people look at it and they're like, oh, it's something that I can do on the side. It's a way to make, you know, passive income. But you have weathered the storms. You've been in it for a long period of time. If somebody is serious about being in real estate, what's your advice to them in a market like this? Well, let me first of all say this, the failure rate in real estate is very high. Yeah. It's 80% in the first three years. And okay. there's a reason for that. The industry is not great at training. It's not great at mentoring. It's not great at coaching. And if you come in because you saw some television show that made it all look very glamorous or because you look at me and all my signs up all over town with sold signs on them and think, man, that guy must be making a lot of money. I'm gonna do that. Um, that's the wrong reason to enter the real estate business. And, and I'm going to emphasize the word business. The real estate industry is a business. And I came from a corporate sales background. So when I entered, within three years, every top agent in town, with one exception, was out of the business. And that had a profound effect on me. And the mm -hmm. reason they were out is because they didn't know how to work right? Working means work. It doesn't mean playing on your computer. It doesn't mean waiting for the phone to ring. It doesn't mean going and having coffee with your fellow agents. It means you go out and you see every property that comes on the market. You do open houses every weekend to meet the public. You do some marketing if it's appropriate and you can afford it. And you talk to people all day and you study and you study and you study and you understand. So when somebody calls you and says, hey, my friend has six kids, I can tell you about the new house on Onley. Yeah. That wasn't a setup, no, right? No, totally. The point is, is if you know what you're doing, the public knows it like that. They know instantly. And yeah. if you don't, they also know it. And that's why the failure rate is so high. Well, and a lot of people get that, uh, what we call uninformed optimism by looking at your life, by looking at your flexibility, by looking at, you know, the vehicle you drive or whatever. And they're like, that guy, I wanna be like that guy and I'm gonna have that life and they don't see everything that goes on behind the curtain. I remember my first appointment with you. I think that you had been standing in your office. Do you still do this? You were standing yeah, and, I making, stand every day. and making calls. Yeah. Um, and, and that's part of the work that you're talking about of just being diligent and getting after it. But a lot of new real estate agents don't see that side of it. They just see the glamour side of it. Is that a, is that a fair statement? I've heard that. I mean, truthfully, I don't know. Um, okay. But I, I know this. I know that the failure rate is high not because they're being successful, yes. right? And successful sure. activities is what cause success in any business, in your business, in the insurance yeah. business. If you're not willing to stay, you know, on top of what's happening in the industry, yeah. right? If you're not willing to advise your clients accordingly, yeah. I have thousands of people that, you know, when they think of real estate, think of me because of 31 years of talking to them and giving them advice and guiding them and sharing information that I thought might be helpful. And at the end of the day, if they just want to pick up the phone and say, hey, Neil, our kids are ready to buy their first home. What do you think? They know I'm going to tell them what I would advise as a dad that happens to be a real estate broker because I got three kids, right? Yeah. Not, oh, yeah, let's help them buy a home right away. Yeah. Maybe, but maybe not. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I just think if you're in a service business, putting the customer before yourself right now, if you're a contractor or a good handyman, I'm telling you, you could be busy seven days a week simply by answering the phone, giving good service, being professional when you show up, cleaning up after yourself yeah. and having the client say thank you at the end. If you could accomplish that in, in, in that industry, you could make so much money. It's not even funny. Yeah. So my business partner and I say it all the time. We are shocked when we call vendors or anybody for that matter and just getting a phone call back i don't know if that's a product of the pandemic where people are you know working from home and they're just a little bit 
a little bit slow on the, you know, on the trigger, or if it's just laziness, which could potentially be that as well. But I mean, just getting a phone call back is so difficult. And we say all the time, you can make a lot of money in America if you'll just pick up the phone and make a phone call. Yeah, and answer it when it rings. I can tell you, because I've done this for a long time, in the real estate industry, and, and I can't speak to other industries, but the real estate industry, I can't tell you how many times in 31 years I've picked up the phone or I've called somebody back when they left a message about a house and they said, you're the only person who called me back. Yeah, we get the same thing in insurance. I, I, I just, to me, I, I, I laugh because I'm like, okay, I've got a new client and somebody else doesn't, yeah. but I just don't understand it. Yeah. it to me, I, I, why would you even be in business if you're not going to aggressively pursue helping your clients buy and sell real estate? If you're, it just doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, that's why, you know, we do the volume we do yeah. because people know that we're going to take care of them and we're going to be responsive. It could be nine o'clock at night. It could be four in the morning. They'll hear from us. Yeah. You know, we talked about, you know, Florida has hurricanes. The Midwest has tornadoes, California. We get earthquakes and wildfires and yeah. maybe some mud mudslides and flooding and things like that. How have you seen natural disasters affect your line of work? I know how they affect our line of work in insurance. What do you see the most in that regard? Well, I mean, the truth is, and, and poor Florida, I have a lot of people I've moved there over the last few years, and I've actually been calling, checking in with them, and, and, and some of them are really affected. Yeah. Um, the problem, at least from my perspective, is things like tornadoes and hurricanes happen every year, yeah. and they seem to be getting worse and worse. In our area, and I know everybody says earthquakes, I was in the 94 earthquake, I was in the 71 earthquake, uh, and a few, you know, littler ones in between there. Is littler a word? Can I use that word? Smaller. Okay, yeah. smaller ones. I don't know. Is any earthquake really feeling small when you're going through it? No. Well, I was in the 94 not, earthquake, and it was not, terrifying. Certainly not 94. <laughs> but, but here's the point. The point is, you know, it's been coming up now on almost 30 years yeah. since that, you know, January 17th event, right? And I can tell you, for me, fire is by so far the biggest issue. They're more frequent, they're worse. And here in the Santa Clarita Valley, where it's a blessing and a curse, right? We're surrounded by beautiful hills, which are covered with beautiful uh, growth of all different kinds. A lot of it, unfortunately, chaparral. And so when it gets hot and dry and, you know, something happens, we have really, really damaging fires. And I will tell you in our industry right now, um, insurance is at the very, very top of our, you know, uh-oh list. Like yeah. we have to talk to our sellers when we take the listing, who are you insured with, right? And have there been any insurance claims on the property in the last five years? Because we have to assure that buyer that they're gonna be able to get insured and it's not gonna just be California Fair Plan. Yeah. Um, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue. You sell a house in Castaic, look out. Yeah. Almost everything is California Fair Plan in Castaic. Yeah. Well, and the difficult part, a lot of people don't know, California Fair Plan was born actually out of the riots in the 60s. Nobody could get insurance in the city because of all of the looting and all of the, you know, fires and all the vandalism that was taking place. And so nobody could get insurance there. And so Fair Plan was born out of that. But in our space out here in our area, you know, I tell people, and I, I always sound old when I say it, but like I used to ride my bike where the mall is now. It was just... It was just dirt fields, you know, and there was two big oak trees out in the middle of it. And we used to we used to ride our bikes in that area. Um, but because of that, as the city expands out, you deal with wildfire on the edges of everything. Right. No matter where you expand, you're expanding into wildfire. And so um, and you get some different options with 
carriers that, you know, pendulum, they swing back and forth They're you know, they're open to taking on a lot of wildfire risk at first. And then they're like, Hey, we've got too much wildfire risk now. So we're not going to, you know, we're not going to keep it on the book. So we're not going to write any more of it. So the market is always evolving and always changing. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it personally, um, multiple times. I remember when I moved from Northbridge Valencia to Southern Oaks and I was with farmers, had a great you know, relationship with them. They'd always taken care of me, I thought. And they said, sorry, we can't insure your house. So yeah. I went to State Farm. And then a few years later, farmers called me and said, hey, we can do your house again. And then, yeah. you know, it's the back and forth thing, right? Yeah. Insurance is one of three really, really critical people in the real estate industry. Number one, of course, is lending. Yeah. Lending drives it, yeah. as we're experiencing right now at a very high level. Uh, number two is is insurance. And then number three is, is another form of insurance, which is title insurance. You have yeah. to be able to, to give clear title on a property. Those three, you know, vendors or support staff to me are absolutely critical. Yeah. Well, and I think that the Geico's and progressives of the world have done um, the society a great disservice by making it a commodity, by making it find it as cheap as you can get it. And basically like, you know, hey, if you can buy this pack of gum for cheaper, then you should do that. The problem is that people compromise a lot of coverages that they need, especially in areas like wildfire, they'll buy a policy that they don't even realize has a $25,000 wildfire deductible on it. Sure. And it's like, hey, you're in a wildfire territory. Do you understand what it is that you're purchasing here? Um, and that, you know, can apply to their their smoke damage, fire damage, anything like yeah. that. So it can be a, a massive headache. And I completely understand it being difficult for your industry as well. It makes sense. Well, if you can't get insurance, you can't close the escrow. So yeah. well, <laughs> and sometimes it can bump, the cost of it can bump it out of the loan as we've, well. We've, like, had, we've had that happen as well. We've had, we've had insurance where we thought it might be, you know, $300 a month to the client actually end up being double that. Yeah. And all of a sudden they don't qualify. So, yeah. No, yeah, it's, it's important. Do you remember what your first home sale was? I do. Okay. Yeah. Talk I, about it. I, I think, you know, it's like your first girlfriend, right? You, <laughs> you, you always remember that special first one. Well, so when I started in real estate, I just did, you know, what I thought was the right thing to do, which at that time was going door to door. That's a very difficult thing to do now because most people don't want to answer their doors uh, to somebody they don't know. Hopefully I was, you know, a nice, pleasant looking young man there, uh, you know, with information that they might be interested in. But what I would do is I would just, you know, kind of target these neighborhoods in those days. It was Saugus. And uh, I would do open houses on weekends and say, hey, you know, we just listed the house down the street. But um, the first house I ever listed was uh, was right on the corner of Kenton Lane. And I'll never forget it because it was 315000 which at that time was a very high price for a home out here. This was early 90s? Yeah, 91. Said? Okay. And uh, I knocked on the guy's door and he says, yeah, we're going to be moving to Vegas. So I'm happy to talk to you. And I'm like, gosh, this really works. They, they were lying after all. Wow. So uh, anyway, long and the short of it is the people uh, down the street who ended up being very dear clients and friends said, you know, we've always wanted that model. So I went down and I listed their house. And uh, it was kind of one of those stories that you can tell to a group of real estate people and they'll all be kind of salivating because that one listing ended up giving me five really terrific clients who were clients and we were all very young back then, just as it turns out, that over time bought progressively more expensive homes, like up into the millions. Wow. And I grew with them, you know, and it was fun to see and fun to watch. And um, my business partner now, I have, you know, a bit of real estate and it's kind of a funny story. I think I was 28 because I started it at, at 27. Um, like a lot of people in those days, 91, 92, 93, he tried to sell his home and couldn't right? Yeah. We call that an expired listing. Yeah. So I knocked on this guy's door and I said, Hey, you know, you're, you're in the neighborhood. I work, he was in Mountain View up in Saugus. And I said, uh, you know, did you still want to sell your town home? 
And he's got hair down to here, you know, he's a tile setter. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, man, I want to still sell this thing. We got, you know, my wife's pregnant with our second, we need a bigger home, which is kind of the Santa Clarita way. For my first 15 years in business, everything was about the move up buyer. Yeah. Uh, my license plate even said move up, you know, which is kind of corny now, but it was. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so I said, well, you know, I, I, I think we can do this. In fact, I've just listed this home over in this neighborhood, about half a mile away, the Wildwood Hills, a neighborhood I like a lot. And I, they're getting a divorce and, and she's gonna wanna stay in the area. Well, the long and the short of it is, she bought his home so he could move up and buy her home. It was literally a trade if okay. you, if, if you, you know, and that kind of thing is what we did then. I mean, you figured out, it was so tight, Daniel, you figured out whatever it took to put people where they wanted to go legally, obviously. Of course, right. Yeah. Um, but, but that's how it worked. Now that guy to this day, in fact, I was at his house the other night for the Rams game, um, lives in a magnificent property in Wildwood Canyon that I sold him 20 years ago. The house that I sold him from the couple getting divorced, uh, I sold that for him. And, you know, he calls me up 10, 10 years ago and he's been investing in real estate and he goes, hey, there's the strip center. I, I'm wondering if you want to partner on it. Wow. And, you know, the next thing you know, we've done five commercial real estate transactions together. That's where real estate gets fun, right? Yeah. Is where you meet somebody. And, and in this case, you watch somebody who literally was setting tile on his knees, working hard. Yeah. Obviously, he went to the point where he owned the company and then gave it to his employees because he's that kind of guy, charitable Christian guy. And, you know, now he's essentially retired, just dealing with his real estate and, you know, me when he has to and probably a few other partners. But the point is, is, you know, I knocked on his door because he was trying to sell a condo that wouldn't sell in the marketplace. Right. Yeah. And that's where real estate gets fun. It gets interesting. It gets good. Um, I was with another client and, and this somebody asked me one time, what is your most embarrassing moment in real estate and it immediately I mean I didn't even have to think twice about it and I've had plenty <laughs> believe me but you know so this was a situation where <laughs> there's a neighborhood in our valley uh, called Hidden Valley and they used to have what was essentially a gate and next to that gate was what they called an impaler that's uh Calgrove and Valley Street correct right? and valley it, it was a go-through yes my family lived, so I grew up off of Calgrove. Okay. And I used to skateboard to school at Hart High School, and we would go up Calgrove and down Valley Street to get there. There you go. And yeah, it was one of those, um, you call it an impaler. It was like a... It's like a hoist. If yeah. you were to go get your car worked on, they'd put it up on the hoist to get under or it, Or they right? put them like, they put them outside of like high security banks to like stop people from, you know, from robbing the place. And they, okay, yeah. so... Well, you get the idea. I, I wasn't, I wasn't I robbing yeah, yeah. anybody, <laughs> but the thing's down under the ground. And there was a movement at the time to have it stopped. And I yes. thought maybe. So anyway, here's the funny part. I've got my client and his wife in my back seat in my wife's car for one day. Okay, her brand new BMW that I bought her from all my hard work. And um, and so my car's in the shop. Hey, honey, can I borrow your car, right? Okay, great. So we're driving and the next house is in, is in Happy Valley. We're leaving Hidden Valley. Yep. So I'm driving and I'm like, yeah, I'll just go right. Daniel, I swear, I, I've never been in an accident like this ever before. We go over and that thing comes up and we literally go up in the air. Oh my gosh. everywhere. I remember <laughs> the watch I was wearing shattered because my hand went up against the windshield and oh here's this word. couple okay there's a funny part to this obviously that was horrible <laughs> a i'm on the side of the road calling my wife on my prehistoric cell phone saying honey i'm sorry i've got bad news i'm not gonna be home for dinner and your car's wrecked um 
But this couple bought a home in that neighborhood. He became president of the HOA and single-handedly saw that it was that it was that it was removed. He went door to door every home in Hidden Valley and got enough wow. signatures to get it. So to this day, <laughs> the reason there is no through, and believe me, everybody in, in, everybody in Happy Valley, well, no, everybody in Happy Valley doesn't well, yeah, doesn't want it. They right. don't want sixty mile an hour in right. front of their. But uh, everybody down below. In the um, well, you can't do it now, man. I know. There's, there's, and all there is, there should be a, like a monument that said, you know, here lies Neil Weichel's catalytic converter or something, you know, in a thousand pieces. But you know, that kind of stuff just happens. You know, you yeah. deal with the public, and and wacky stuff happens. I mean, you get locked out of houses, locked into houses. Your photographer falls in the pool in the middle of the. You know, I had that happen. I could go on and on and on. But you know, it's just it's life. You know, yeah. I've walked into probably fifteen, twenty thousand homes in my real estate career you know i've walked in on people that didn't know i was coming if you know what i mean yeah and, and you know wait i thought it was four o'clock man i rang i yelled broker broker you know and sorry i didn't know you're in the shower they don't like that by the way when you walk in and they're in the shower um so anyway it's 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 a litany of uh of embarrassment and and candidly if you let it get to you um sure you know, it'll, you know, you just won't be very successful. You just apologize and be sincere and yeah. people understand. Uh, falling into the pool and ruining $5,000 worth of photography equipment wasn't good. But, yeah. uh, you know, it happens. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, and I love your story about just going door to door, working hard and hustling. I remember in 2009 when I opened up uh, my State Farm agency. Yeah. Everybody was kind of battening down the hatches. Nobody really wanted to do anything. And it was, I couldn't sell an insurance policy to save my life. It was it was the hardest thing just to get people on the phone. And so we started going door to door. State Farm was very liberal on their underwriting guidelines at the time with wildfire. And so I started going up, um, I went through Placerita Canyon, I went um, up off of Copper Hill and I was knocking doors up there. And I remember going up to this lady's uh, door and she's still a client to this day, she's a wonderful client. And I said, you know, hey, we, we can write insurance up here. And she goes, I don't think so. And I said, no, we, I, I guarantee you, we can write homes in this area. And I knew that they passed wildfire uh, inspections and things that uh, guidelines that State Farm had in place at the time. And she said, well, you can come look. And I'm a complete stranger. I have a State Farm shirt on, right. but she just walks She me, doesn't know you from Adam. She walks me through her house into her backyard. And she's like, here's our fire line right here. Like, here's where the brush runs up to our house. Um, and they had a an HOA maintained uh, green zone at the time, you know, it was like a hundred feet of defensible space basically right. around, around the whole community. And I just couldn't believe that walking up to somebody's door and knocking on it, that there was implicit trust of he's hustling, he's working hard. He's out here to have a conversation. And it was just, it was an instant bond and instant friendship of, you know, Hey, let's, let's work together. I think that people respect the hustle. Um, they respect it when people are, are knocking doors and, and working hard. Uh, I'm quite sure that the reason I was able to be successful really quickly is because people saw me, including real estate people, and not always fondly probably, uh, and said, wow, why is this guy working so hard? This is really weird. I mean, I certainly was not the best educated, experienced real estate agent in 1991, 92, 93, um, but nobody outworked me for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, still to this day, um, you know, the, the, the level of communication we have with our clients is very high because the truth is, is if it isn't in this world where tech dominates everything, yeah. um, you know, they have plenty of other choices yeah. and, you know, they'll take them. So if you want to be, you know, if you want to be 
number one every year, yeah. you know, for 20 plus years in a row. Yeah. You have to constantly be improving because if you don't, you'll get left behind. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not interested in being left behind. So absolutely. No. And there will always be a place for people that are willing to work harder than everybody else. Uh, my business partner is like that. He's just always saying, how do we outwork the competition? In our industry, the average age, I think, for people who own insurance agencies now is like 58 years old. I believe that. And That's the average age of a real yeah, estate agent, too, by the way. In, in America, it's, it's 57 and a half. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very old industry. So Charlie has always said, like, we're either out going to outlast them at this point. Or we're going to out hustle them or both. Yeah. And, he's and you'll like, probably that's do both. That's what's probably going you know, to make us you. more successful. Um, one of the things that they discussed at this conference that I was at uh, for real estate agents was they talked about the ability to scale your business. Right. And grow. Yep. How did you know that you had reached a point that you needed to hire your first employee? Um, and I think you have 16 members now. I do. Okay. And I think if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, a lot of them are very loyal employees. They've been with you for a long time. Oh, yeah. 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 It's somewhat unusual in the real estate industry. And, and what's happening now over the last few years in our industry um, is this idea of scaling these massive teams. Sure. And by massive, I mean 20, 25, 30, 35. They're really mm. companies unto themselves, but yeah. they'll be under, you know, the Weichel team or whatever. Yeah. Is um, that what contributes to the 80% failure ratio though? No, that in fact, like... that that actually is where the new people have to go. Okay. If they try to do it on their own in, in this day and age, I just don't, there's not enough support to help them unless they're unbelievably internally motivated yeah. to just do whatever it takes. I was, yeah, you but were, I was clearly. unusual. Yeah. I mean, you know, probably a lot of people just thought weird because you know, I didn't have an option. You know, I left a really good corporate sales job to come into real estate and I wasn't going back, yeah. you know? So uh, when you have two small kids and another one on the way, you know, that that's called motivation, right? Yeah. Today, if I were entering the real estate space, I would absolutely join a team because it's just so much more complicated. The contracts themselves are five times as big. Okay. The disclosures are, are, are six times what they were then, Yeah. right? It was four pages then. It's like 20 now, Jeez. you know? So if you don't understand all that, these are contracts, right? Yeah. If you don't understand it and have really good, you know, knowledge of them, you're going to get either yourself or your client in trouble. And those are not options. Sure. So the answer about team is yeah, how did you decide I need to hire somebody? I yeah. Need to start so, building and so there's a very big administrative part of the real estate business and it's, it's important. It requires somebody to be paying attention literally, you know, eight to five every day yeah. where they're dealing with, you know, back in the day we didn't have email, but of course sure. today emails and contracts and talking to lenders and talking to support staff and what's happening at escrow and letting the, the client, the buyer, the seller, the, the, the person in escrow know those things. Yeah. That's an admin job. It's not a sales job. Yeah. The problem is, is the sales component is what makes a real estate team work. If you don't have really good salespeople, if you're not really good at selling, yeah. and I work on it every day, I have yeah. a coach for it and all the rest of it, you're just not going to be successful. Yeah. You know, unless the market is so crazy hot like it like it was where anybody can sell anything. Yeah. That's not normal. Yeah. Normal is, hey, you better figure out how to, how to you know, sell what you got. And so um, in my team, um, I hired an assistant right away 
And working with buyers is also a specific skill set. So about five years in, I hired what we called then a buyer's agent. And, and, and she was with me and we worked together with all the buyers. As we got into the 2000s, um, business grew. We did over 200 transactions one year. Wow. That is way too many. That's, yeah, no one in this valley has ever done that. I mean, it's very, very rare to do that kind of production. Um, and we did it. Uh, with three people, that's that's not enough people. I'll just tell you right now. And it almost it almost killed us. Just underwater. And uh, well, it's just you're working seven days yeah. a week, fourteen hours a day yeah. because everything requires that kind of attention. So then I hired a second buyer's agent. So I've got Chad yeah. has been with me fifteen years. Lauren's been with me fifteen years. Jen's been with me ten years. I mean, these are people that are very, very, very good. Lindsay, ten years. Yeah. Very, very good salespeople. Uh, and, and, and or admin people, and they understand real estate. They could, they could sell real estate without me, right? They know the business okay. that well. And but what we all have in common is, A, I think they, they, they appreciate being in a team environment where I take good care of them uh, and we have fun and, 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 and take good care of the client. And I think they like the feedback too. When you get a lot of feedback about, hey, we really appreciate you guys. I mean, you can go and you'll see over a thousand five-star reviews for the Neil Weichel group, yeah. right? That comes honestly, yeah. you know, you can't make that stuff up, right? Well, we you, will never buy real estate from, through anybody else. My wife and I. Well, thank like it, you. it would it would be unheard of for us, but it's a testament to the way that you guys treat your clients and the way that you take care of people. I mean, I honestly, as long as I'm doing this 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 business, that's the only thing I want my clients to say. Yeah. Right? Is is I don't need to call anybody else because I know these guys know what they're doing and yeah. I know they'll take care of me. And all I have to do is say, Neil, this is what I need and it'll be done. And it will be, yeah. you know, it will be. So as far as the team approach, there's a right way and a wrong way. I think the wrong way is where it's so big that it becomes anonymous. Okay. And the, the, the other wrong way is when it's, you're, you're working hard and you're doing a lot of business, but you don't have enough support. Sure. The sweet spot for me is in that six, seven, eight people range. You know, okay. I have an in-house photographer, I have an in-house social media guy. I've got, you know, two people on the admin. My son consults for me. He's wicked smart on everything tech and social media and, and all that. And then I've got three great salespeople. And that's enough salespeople. When somebody calls, they can see the house that day. Well, if you're out of town and you're working on your own, yeah. guess what? You're out of business. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then talk about your client relationship tools that you've used. We've attended a couple of your client appreciation events that you like to do. What's the motivation for that? What's your thinking behind it? Is it really just as simple as staying in front of people or is there more to it than that? Well, I mean, mind? yeah, of course you're staying in front of it. The truth is I just like the people. I mean, uh, yeah. honestly, Santa Clarita, I, I, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of friends that sell all over the country and we talk about our markets and our clientele and stuff like that. I wouldn't trade mine for anybody. You know, it's a very, very nice place to live. People are here for families. Well, I'm a family guy, right? Yeah. So I have that in common with them. You know, it could be sports, youth sports. I sponsor all the youth sports. I mean, it's just, I, you know, I, I can't think about a better place to live, have a business, uh, you know, raise your family. And so these events that we've done, I mean, like we did this, you know, because of COVID, we couldn't do, you know, like in and out burger day at the park, right? Sure. Like we've done in the past, but you know, we could do virtually, we did a Super Bowl pool. I gave away like three grand, you know, and, and we all kind of watched the game together, yeah. even though we weren't all together, you yeah. know? I mean, I had, I don't know, 240 people, I think, that wow. we'll do it again this year for sure, right? So those are the things that make it fun, yeah. you know, just stuff that says, hey, we appreciate your business, you know, we appreciate your loyalty. I got a really nice review this week from somebody and, and you know, I responded to it and I said, you know, I just appreciate your loyalty. Yeah. You know, you hired me to sell your home and, and you thought you were moving out of state and you didn't. And you wanted to buy a home here and you called us. 
And yeah. I know why he called, but he could have called somebody else. Sure. And so, you know, I, that, that kind of warms my heart, yeah. you know, the loyalty component. I'm sure you have it, you we know, do. with your yeah. clients. Um, so that's, that's reaffirming and, and I think, uh, you know, makes the job more fun. Yeah. As you've grown your business, you've gotten a little bit more into the, the social media game. Where do you see the importance of that and why did you get into it? All right. So here's the truth. You'd okay. like the truth, right? I, I love the All truth. Right. Yeah, I'm sure I you, can handle I'm sure truth. you can handle this truth. <laughs> the truth is I'm 59 years old okay. and a lot of the people that are buying and selling real estate come from a different generation than I am. And that's the truth yeah. right now. A lot of my clients are my age or even older. Um, but a lot of them were helping their kids buy. Well, they're on Instagram. They're not looking at the email I just sent them. They don't even like email. Right. Okay. And you know, the truth is, is everybody sees all these houses and okay, Neil was the number one agent again. Okay. Good for you. But that's not what they want to hear. They want to see something stupid like me do the dance of joy in front of the house I sold last year where, you know, the guy says you're going to dance and I did, you know, and, 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 and stuff that makes, you know, more the human side, if sure. you will. So I think social is, is wonderful in a, a number of ways. I used to write a blog and that's great. And a lot of people read it. I could see what the open I used to rate. Read it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people would read yeah. it, be, you know, I wrote, them all, I write it all myself. So, you know, it's not like it's some form thing that any realtor could send you. But the video component, especially with some of the craziness we've had since COVID, I remember sitting in my chair in my office when, when they said, you can't work, right? Shelter in place, right? Yeah. March 15th. I'll never forget it. And I sat in that chair and I looked right in the camera and I said, guys, we don't know what's going to happen. I said, I'm going to tell you as we go through and I'm going to report to you, but this is uncharted waters right now. Here's where we are. And I'm going to let you know what's happening as we go through. And literally for that first year of COVID, that's all I did. Yeah. And about three months in, I'm saying, I know this doesn't make a lot of sense, but the market's really strong. Yeah. People are buying and selling homes like crazy. Yeah. You know, we, we've got to send all these medical forms and stuff to go in and open a house up and it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it was just a very odd time. And, and now that it's, you know, essentially behind us and we have some perspective on it, social was the way I communicated with everybody, yeah. you know, and let them know stuff that they wanted to know. I mean, when you and I met, it was a short sale crisis and we did yeah. a lot of them because a lot of people needed that help. If I could have instead, remember, I'll never forget this. I sent this postcard out and it was a picture of my face upside down. And I said, are you upside down? You know, and, and it went to like all these, well, I had these, these yeah. seminars at, at yeah. Remax and, and two of them and the rooms were full, you yeah. know, people wanted to figure out how they could solve their problem. I got, you know, a lot of people out of hot water with those things today. I could do a simple video. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I wouldn't do a, you know, a get together at sure. the Remax conference room, but I don't need to. Yeah. I can look in a camera and, and in, you know, 120 seconds, share exactly what people need to know and schedule a Zoom call with them to walk through the process. And the next thing you know, they're out of it. Yeah. It's so efficient to be able to use social. You just have to use it in the right way. Yeah. And be willing to get a little bit out of your comfort zone, I think. Which yeah, is, way out of mind. Well, and even this setup for me is challenging. You know, my business partner is like, hey, you know, this is the way that we got to go because there's nothing more valuable than an audience. And so we have to, you know, got to start talking this direction. We can chop it up. We can put it into reels. We can put it on our social media. And I'm like, Oh boy. Okay. You know, I mean, I spent half of my life without the internet and then another 10 years really without social media. Yeah. And so I'm in that place where it's weird to sort of set yourself up as like a, a public punching bag, so to speak for people to just look at it and be like, Oh, I didn't like that. And I didn't like the way that he said this. And I didn't, you know, so I'm still adjusting and getting used to, you know, the, the side of the business of being more in front of people, sure. more social. I've always been able to stand in front of a group, 
do a presentation, speak intelligently, be, you know, be bolsterous and, you know, and, and big. And, um, I'm what Charles Spurgeon called barrel chested. You know, I can, I can project, <laughs> you know, I, I can project with the best of them. Um, but it's still an uncomfortable thing, you know, for me to, to put myself out there on social media. I like to read, um, positive things. Right. And yeah. I, I have a group of, of realtors that I share, you know, ideas and thoughts with in books and, and we, we all, all over the country. Anyway, there was a book that came out a few years ago called change or die. Right. It's like, again. It's like change who, or die. It's like who moved my cheese. <laughs> right. <It's> a- <laughs> There's hundreds of those kinds yeah. of things. And the message is always the same. Look, if you're in business, it's constantly changing. I mean, if I could tell you what real estate was like when I was knocking on doors in 1991, there were no cell phones. There were no fax machines. Every offer was presented in person. You want to talk about inefficient? Yeah. How do you feel it would be to present 10 offers to a seller on a Tuesday night? You're there for three hours. You go home at 11 o'clock at night. Well, that's what we did. Yeah. Right. Um, You had no internet at all. So if you wanted to see homes, guess what? You called me and I told you what was available. You had no access to that information. Now think about that. Think about how different it is today. If I was still doing what I did in the nineties or the aughts or, or, or even five years ago, it wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't be effective. It wouldn't be efficient. The amount of money we spend on digital marketing right now, I didn't spend anything five years ago. I spend a fortune on digital marketing. Why? Because that's where the eyeballs are and my sellers want me to market their home where the eyeballs are. Well, guess what? You gotta spend money. Yeah. Okay. Change or die. And yeah. that's you know, that's true in your business. Yours yeah. is a pretty traditional, established whatever business. And yet it's constantly changing. Yeah. We're always trying to, to innovate and always trying to find new ways to do it. I remember as a state farm agent, I had a giant poster of myself in the food court at the mall. And it was it was you know, dual sided and it had my big face on it. And it said, uh, good neighbor, better rates, best value. And it had my phone number on it. I got three phone calls from that advertisement. Two of them were asking me, how'd you get your face up there? I want to buy the exact same kind of ad space. And then one person actually bought insurance through it. But it was like, man, I feel like there's, there's gotta be more efficient ways of marketing. This is back when we were, you know, knocking doors a lot and, you know, internet leads had sort of just become a thing that we were, you know, purchasing and talking to people through, but the digital media platform, social media platform is like you said, just incredibly efficient and a way of reaching a lot of people in a short period of time. Yeah. And because photography is such a big part of real estate, it's a natural right? Is if, as long as you're willing to spend for good photography, you can really present your properties well and, 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 and show a prospective buyer, you know, all the nice features of a home that you'd be representing. If you're not willing to spend the time and money on that, in my opinion, you won't stay in this business because yeah. that's where the business is today. That makes sense. Yep. Hey, as we're wrapping up, if you were giving advice to somebody looking to buy their first home, What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's your primary advice to new I, home I buyers? always say the same thing to first time. I talked to one today. Um, there are two people that are key to the transaction and key to not being stressed out and confused and frustrated when you go to do something you've never done before that in and of itself is scary. I remember my first home. I'll never forget it. The agent was worthless and the lender wasn't much better. And I made a commitment when I entered real estate that everything I did would be geared towards that first time buyer because those two people are a really good real estate agent and a really good lender. As a buyer, it doesn't cost you anything to have representation from a really good real estate agent. Yeah. We get paid by the sellers when you buy their when you buy their home. So, why wouldn't you get the best possible? You know, somebody who's going to listen to you, ask you all the right questions, take notes, make sure they're taking you down the path you want to go on. 
right? Yeah. That's that's just good service. And then of course, as far as lenders go, boy, is that a tumultuous business. You're gonna see probably 25% of the people that are in lending in 2022 be gone in 2023 and maybe more, hmm. right? So who's good? What are the programs out there? I mean, you gotta stay on top of that because a good lender and a good real estate agent, you will have the most exciting, fun, rewarding experience and the opposite it'll be the opposite. Yeah. So that's my advice to first time buyers. Talk to agents until you find one you hit it off with. When you do and you feel comfortable, terrific. Tell them, hey, who is a really good lender that you trust that I can talk to? I wanna compare a couple, I wanna, I wanna figure out what my options are. Especially as a first time buyer, you don't even know which end is up, Yeah. right? We you know no about debt to income ratios. We had and, no idea what we were doing. You know, oh, they're gonna run my credit five times. No, they're not, it's okay, Daniel, <laughs> I promise. Let, let me explain what'll happen. And, and sure. just make them feel comfortable because it's a scary thing, uh, but it's also something that, uh, you know, can be so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much You're for your time, for being here. That's going to do it for us at the Risky Assets Podcast. We're going to have notes uh, in the show notes for contact information for Neil and his team. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.